Greetings, Starfighters. It is Sunday, June 12th, 8.44 p.m. Precisely Pacific Standard Time. Jeez. I've run out. <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need roads. Uh, hey, Dan. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, that was not, that was not, uh, that was, that was the best I had right now in this moment. Hey, it's all good. Uh, this is Ruined Childhoods. Uh, that yes. was Dan uh, bringing in the intro, and I'm John. And uh, yeah, this uh, this podcast is where we talk about cult and classic movies and also just movies that we generally enjoy and how we could bring them back as a remake, reboot, prequel, sequel, board game, uh, dog toy, whatever. Dog could toy? I, I don't oh, know. I, okay. I went. I went shopping for some dog toys today, so I guess dog toys are fresh on the brain. For Were there any dogs, like not... movie tie-in like dog toys? Oh, certainly. There's a DeLorean dog toy. You I know. Like, you know what I'm picturing like when that. I when I picture movie related dog toy. Honestly, I'm picturing like a a Starship Enterprise that you could like play a little oh, like tug of war with. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, a thousand percent. Those definitely exist. But before we get into Talking about Back to the Future, which is uh, the the subject of this episode, uh, I first wanted to give a shout out to Jennifer Hudson, who at the time of this recording had just gotten her EGOT. She got the Tony, so she just EGOTed. Oh, How wow. How cool is that? Wow. Congratulations, J-HUD. Yeah. Uh, very exciting. Uh, I mean... From Sex in the City movie uh, to here, I think that isn't she in the Sex in the City movie? Is she Jennifer? I mean Jen- Jennifer Hudson. I think Dreamgirls. I uh, think, no, I was I mean, making a joke. Respect. Oh, the Sex in the City movie. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I was making a joke that she was in such a terrible movie for. Oh, like, was sport. she in that? I I, th- I think so. I um, have never seen a Sex in the City movie or episode. I have not. Okay, seen it. So ever. I I tried to get through the original series. And it is it is tough. I mean, especially lately, now that we know better about so many things. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Yes, she was in both Sex and the City movies. So for anyway, neither uh, of her Oscars came from from those though. No, 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 no. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that that just came across my newsfeed, and I was like, oh damn, that's awesome. Egotten. That's uh, no easy feat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I've been I'm, working on it for my whole life, and I don't have I am, any of those. I am zero fourths, yeah, uh, on on the way. I feel like the Grammy would probably be the the like kind of the, the easy one, unless to get you're first. a producer. Like, if you are are on the producing team for a movie, maybe that's how you get an Oscar. An Oscar, just like you put in enough money, so uh, yeah, or yeah. or an Emmy, you know, like you're part of a a team, or like or an Emmy, maybe you're like in the in a writer's room, 
and it gets an Emmy. You know, it's like there's there's things like that where it's just like, oh, hey, I've got an Emmy. Or you could get a regional Emmy if you are yes. some. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of people who get those uh, regional Emmys. Not to say that they don't no, deserve I'm very, the praise. I, but, I have yeah. friends who have been nominated for regional Emmys, and I'm incredibly proud of them. And they get they've yeah. got nom- those nominations for uh, for great work. So. Yeah, I would definitely I would count that towards the EGOT. Sure. But I, I generally speaking though, the Grammy, I feel like the, there are so many Grammy categories that like you could potentially like if I decide I'm gonna, you know, crack open Audacity and like record an audiobook and self-publish, there there's probably a Grammy category for that. It might not be televised, but Yeah. I don't know. That like for best self-recorded, self-published audiobook. By a guy in a basement in Seattle. Oh, well, I bet I better win that <laughs> one. Jeez. No, I'm thinking like national. I'm not thinking the regional Grammys. Oh, There's... no, 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 no. That's that's just one category in the that... national uh Grammys. I Dan, I've got a, a really fascinating one more thing. Fabulous. Uh, so this is in regards to our Aerosmith music video episodes or episode. And Dan, there's a, a a person who was featured in one of the music videos that I believe we were even just like, wonder what the deal is with that guy. Anyway, who knows? And there's an article in Daily Mail regarding the, uh, as they say, shirtless hunk in the crazy music video. You know, the guy who is on the tractor that they go skinny dipping with. Oh, yeah. So uh, I am just uh, going to go ahead and read kind of their bullet points for... <laughs> This situation, um, you know, not to make light of some, you know, some really bad things that happen, but uh, model who skinny dipped with Alicia Silverstone in Aerosmith's crazy music video is unrecognizable as he's seen enjoying life as a free man after serving 10 year sentence for murder for hire plot and sexual battery. So his name is Dean Kelly, and his claim to fame is a shirtless cameo in Aerosmith's 1994 crazy music video, Enjoying Life as a Free Man after 10-year prison sentence. Former model was released on June 4th after serving time in Washington Parish, Louisiana, for a murder-for-hire plot as well as sexual battery charges. Kelly, now 51, was snapped in exclusive DailyMail.com photos, having breakfast with his mother and a friend at a local restaurant in New Orleans. The once clean-cut model sported long salt-and-pepper hair, as well as a bushy beard and mustache. He was seen wearing a light blue short-sleeve Magellan shirt, gray cargo pants, sunglasses, and a black newsboy cap. Wow, they are really, like, keeping their eye on this dude. Dean Kelly. Wow, okay. Uh, So worry uh, worry about him no longer, wonder about him no longer— now well, we know. maybe worry about him if you live in the I don't know Washington Parish area, uh, in perhaps yeah Louisiana. You know, I mean, we can only hope that he has been reformed. You know, he has spent some time uh, to reflect about the wrongdoings and hopefully thinks about the good times, such as when Alicia Silverstone and Liv Tyler plucked him out of obscurity off of that tractor. To go for a dip in the lake. Yeah, I don't know, I, man. I hate to say it, but it just seems like that was the path he was heading on. That 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 skinny dip was a detour, and Oof. ugh, 
Yeah, I mean, I actually I hope he doesn't think about that because then he, he's just going to like that would be depressing. And he'll look in the mirror at his uh, salt and pepper uh, hair and beard and the, the cap that I don't I don't remember the details from the day. Oh, it was a black now, newsboy cap, Dan. Black newsboy cap. You know, yeah. He basically he turned into George R.R. R. Martin, it sounds. Um, sure. <laughs> Let's go or with Alan that. Moore. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like... <laughs> Well, One you know, you're you're talking about uh, fantasy and, and science fiction, and that's a perfect way to get into talking about Back to the Future, Dan. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it so, is. Why else would I have said that? Before we get into the nitty gritty of Back to the Future, I've got to know, do you remember your first time seeing it? I don't. Uh, I, it was a VHS, probably VHS, if not HBO, uh-huh. um, did not see it in theater. I saw the, the, I saw part two uh-huh. in the theater. I saw it twice opening weekend. Really? And it, well, one of those I think was a family trip. So I think okay. we were along on that. And I believe there was a trip I would to, have been uh, two. what's that? I would have been two. In in no 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 not not the first oh, back oh, to the, the, I mean, the back second to the one right. two Which, yeah in right. 1989 and gotcha. yeah, in fact yeah, yeah. I that that I remember so, so well that I'm I'm almost confident that that there was a either before the movie or after the movie a um a visit to Pizza Hut to redeem some book it uh and get get some personal pan pizzas yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I, that I remember pretty clearly, and uh, and then Back to the Future Part Three, I I I know I saw it. I saw them two and three at the Cranford Theater. Uh-huh. Uh, three, I still have the ticket stub for. Do you uh, now? Yeah, well, that was when I started collecting ticket stubs. It was like right. Yeah, that was nineteen ninety. Yeah, because my first ticket stub that I held on to for absolutely no reason other than that was the day I decided to start keeping them was Bird on a Wire with <laughs> uh, Goldie Hawn and and he Mel who Gibson. shall not be named. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, no. That's okay. Mel Gel Mibson. Gel Mibson. Uh, Gel yeah. Mibson. Yeah. Um, but then Back to the Future 3 came out not long after that. And yeah, I mean, of course, went went to go see that. But yeah. Um, don't, I don't remember the first time I saw the original. Mm -hmm. Do you? Uh, no, but I, and I'm sure that I did see this, the second one in the theater during one of those times that you mentioned. I, I, my most clear memory about part two would have been, I guess not too long after it probably was out on video because I remember going to a family friend's house who I went to preschool with. Um, and I was like, you know, our uh, Dan and I are brothers for anybody who doesn't know. And I was kind of dropped off there. I believe our brother Scott was also there. It was, uh, at, uh, not that anybody would, would know, but <laughs> a family friend, um, Barbara and Sarah Glassman, were were the uh, the the people who we were spending the afternoon with, and I remember they had I don't know if they had rented it, but the VHS tape of Back to the Future Part Two, and we watched that, and that was and it's just one of those like vivid memories that's just inexplicably in there and taking up space. But 
I think that part two is one that I definitely remember a lot more. I think that a lot of people who grew up in that time probably remember a lot more aspects of the second one. I think that there's a lot of things that came up in the second one that weren't in the first that kind of became synonymous with, uh, you know, Back to the Future, the nobody calls me chicken stuff and hoverboards and yeah well hoverboards i mean definitely because now those are like yeah. kind of a thing not exactly in the same the, way yeah, the but. self-lacing shoe sneakers and you know like all that kind of stuff well and there's a few and a couple of those things like you you brought up the chicken uh the whole chicken thing there's the, the character needles i right. was gonna wait until after you synopsized yeah. uh but yeah definitely wanted to bring those up because Every I always like. Do I miss that in the original every time? Yeah, no, it's true. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go ahead and do a synopsis, and this synopsis is going to cover all three movies. And (laughs) don't worry, I'll I'll inject that in after. In an effort to escape from Libyan terrorists, a teenager named Marty travels back in time 30 years by accident in his older scientist friend's actual time machine. But once he derails the chance meeting between his parents that sparks their relationship, he has to find a way to course-correct history in order to save his own existence. After Marty successfully returns to present day, thanks to the past version of his scientist friend, Doc Brown, visits Marty from the future to enlist his help to save his own son from making a mistake that lands the boy in prison. But when Marty gets the idea to buy a sports almanac that will ensure his personal wealth into the future, once he goes back to his present day, Doc explains how it will create a ripple in time space. Unbeknownst to them both, the conversation is overheard by the elderly version of Marty's dad's bully Biff, who steals the almanac and the time machine to go back to 1955 to deliver it to his teenage self. Marty discovers this after returning to his present day, which is very much changed due to Biff becoming a wealthy casino owner thanks to his lucky sports almanac. So now, Marty needs to go back to 1955 again to get the almanac back from Biff, which proves to be quite difficult, but Marty manages to get the job done. But by the time he gets back to Doc in the time machine, a lightning bolt hits the machine, leaving Marty stranded in 1955. But moments later, a Western Union man shows up with a note for Marty that was given to them in 1885 with the instruction to deliver it to a specific location in 1955 where Marty currently stands. It's a note from Doc in the past indicating the exact information that Marty would need to get a hidden time machine back in working order so he could take it to 1985. But what Marty and Doc discover is that a week after 1885, when Doc wrote that letter, he was to be killed by Buford Tannen, an ancestor of Biff's. So Marty goes back in time to the Old West against against 1885 Doc's wishes to save his life. But after a fuel line is pierced by an arrow, Doc and Marty need to figure out a way to get the time machine up to the right speed in order to trigger the time mechanism. When they come up with their plan, Marty finds himself again in the crosshairs of the Tannen family. Additionally, Doc meets the woman with whom he is said to have fallen in love with according to his future tombstone. Fate joins them together and the plans all change, but not before Marty humiliates Buford Tannen and gets him sent to prison. The plan works and Marty makes it back to the best 1985 possible. 
He even has grown as a result of his journey and is able to put his ego aside when faced with a challenge. <sighs> so. Wow. <laughs> you know, when you hear it all summed up that way, like it's, just as we one know it's story. confusing, but we also know that um, you've probably seen that you've probably seen at least one and two a, a thousand times. Yeah. So uh, Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly. Christopher Lloyd is Doc Brown. I. Uh, Leah Thompson plays uh, Marty's mom. In the first film, Crispin Glover plays Marty's dad. In the uh, subsequent films, uh, he is played by uh, Jeffrey Weissman. And in all of them, the Tannen family (laughs) is all played by Thomas Wilson, who is amazing. The MVP, all due respect to the rest of the cast, Thomas F. Wilson is the MVP of this trilogy. Absolutely. And one of the greatest, at least like just Biff in the original Back to the Future, one of the best villains. uh, Mm -hmm. One of the most overlooked villains, I would say. He's fantastic. He's fantastic. So um, in the first film... Marty's girlfriend Jennifer is played by uh, Claudia Wells, uh, but is is then played by uh, Elizabeth Shue in the subsequent films, but is not in the film for very much time at all. She's usually passed out. <laughs> yeah, well, and then in in the second one, she gets to play like her older self too briefly. That's true. Yeah. Briefly, briefly, that's true. As Michael uh, J. Fox plays everybody else in the I know um and and other, some other notable uh actors that are in these I feel like uh James Tolkien uh, plays Strickland the 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 high school principal and also sheriff in the he's old the West? Sher- he's the sheriff he's he's uh, some sort of law enforcement but he hates right because, because actually because there's the other I don't know if it's I, maybe it's the deputy who's played by Donovan Scott, a.k.a. Leslie Barbara from Police Academy. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I, I did a I did a triple take. Yeah. So um, also, I want to note that, you know, you mentioned the character of Needles before who makes an appearance in the second one and the third one. And that's played by musician flea who i don't feel like it's talked enough about how he's just in so many movies and he has been for such a long time and it's 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 always great to see him it's always a nice surprise and this is you know yeah he, he's kind of perfect in this uh and also uh billy zane is is in these as um as is it biff or griff's well he, both he's in he's in well actually no he's in biff's Gang, he's in I Biff's don't gang. think he's in Griff's gang. No. Um. Also, Casey Shimasco. Uh, Casey Shimasco. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Um. You know, you might know from Three O'clock High, or like I think of him from the adap- film adaptation of Of Mice and Men. Uh huh. Um. But yeah, Casey Shimasco, who's also in in Biff's gang. Oh, the, you know what it is? They're also in his gang in the future, like in alternate nineteen eighty five. Hmm. They're still part of his his gang. Right. You know, you can do this the hard way or the easy way. <laughs> the easy way. Yeah. Uh, Casey Shimosko, you know, has been in certainly plenty of things. I feel like he's come up on... Oh, that's right, because he was in Young Guns. Right. Yes. Young Guns. Yeah. Uh, so 
Welcome back to the podcast, Casey Shimasco. Your last name is hard for me to remember how to spell. And one of these days, we'll talk about three o'clock high. I'd love to. I'd love to, which I feel, you know, ties in so well with the discussion of Back to the Future Part Three, which takes place in the in the Old West. And Three O'clock High is a is a nod, an '80s high school nod to to old westerns. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, there are certain things that if you want to hear people talk about, I'm just going to run Dan run down the list of things that people will talk about on other podcasts. That we don't need to go into here. One of them being the the whole controversy behind Crispin Glover not not being in the second or third movies, and the lawsuits that came up as a result of that. And uh, I will also add that I saw that um, that Jeffrey Weissman, who plays George McFly in the subsequent films, very much is trying to capitalize upon that on cameo the uh the service where you can purchase uh personalized messages from celebrities of all kinds and yeah he's there and i also know that claudia wells uh the original jennifer i i've seen her on tiktok a little bit she does a lot of the conventions and really you know milks being in that first back to the future movie and signs autographs and stuff like that so uh, you know, hope she's doing well. That's, you know, a bit of a, I don't know, a drudge going to all those conventions and it must have sucked being replaced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I guess I, uh, I, what, what, what did she do? Like, what else did she do around that time? Cause I mean, you don't just pop up in back to the future as, as Michael J. Fox's love interest without having some type of resume. Yeah, well, Claudia Wells, uh, let's see, she, well, this was actually her first movie and then didn't do any films until 2008. Uh, She had been, uh, she had done a little bit of television, uh, the show Family, Strike Force, uh, Herbie, Love Bug, uh, Fame, did an episode of Fame. Um, Yeah, just a bunch of. Sounds about right. Yeah, stuff like that. Maybe um, maybe a little like Simon and Simon. Yeah, an yeah, yeah. So I'm just you know, throwing out Trapper was, John. Sorry, Trapper John. Oh no, sorry. Simon and Simon. She she was definitely in an episode of Simon and Simon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I was just pulling a name out of out of. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. No no no. Yeah, no, I wasn't actually. It. it wasn't until I started. Uh, I've never seen think, Simon and Simon. I want I want to watch Simon and Simon. I have never seen Simon and Simon either. Yeah. And, Uh, Something else that we aren't really going to talk about on this episode is Eric Stoltz, the original Marty McFly. Um, For that, you can listen to almost any other podcast that's going to talk about Back to the Future. Or any documentary, any extra on the DVDs. But all, all I'll say, it's undeniable that Michael J. Fox was the right person for the role of Marty McFly slash Calvin Klein slash Clint Eastwood. <laughs> uh, and yeah, these movies, they really just kind of like, it's it's so complicated to think about how they must have mapped this all out during a time when Back to the Future didn't exist as a template for how time travel and like the butterfly effect can, you know, impact the time-space continuum. 
Well, I mean, the the Ray Bradbury story, A Sound of Thunder, would, there, would have been. There were time, yeah. right? There were time travel movies and TV shows and books, but Back to the Future definitely became like the you know Back to the Future and the DeLorean became like iconic time travel indicators, and and later on the the phone booth from Bill and Ted. Have you ever ridden in a DeLorean? I have never ridden in a DeLorean, no. I have. Okay. Did we not have a neighbor who had a DeLorean? I No, we didn't have a neighbor, but you're probably remembering a DeLorean parked in our driveway at some point. Um, and it had nothing to do with me going into the future because of my kids. Um, okay. So uh, a friend of mine in high school, Bob Salguero. Hello, Bob. Um, if you're listening. So Bob Salguero was really I think he was really into the back back to the future but he really was into like DeLorean. He had been saving up like long before he got his license to buy a Did DeLorean. Did he have like red hair? No, he had no. he had dark hair. He had kind of like I feel like I remember somebody with red hair having a DeLorean and living not too far from us. That's Eric Stoltz. Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> um we're not talking about we don't talk about Eric. That was at his uh his consolation prize is gets to take home a DeLorean. Yeah. That basically, yeah, he got to take on the remote control car. Uh, um, so anyway, um, yeah, so Bob had uh, bought a DeLorean and went like, you know, stop by one day. I got a ride in the DeLorean, do the, <laughs> the doors and everything. Yeah. And, and I, you know, great. these could all be rumors, but I hear that DeLorean may be coming back with an electric model. It's so this. hard to know what's actually going to happen in real life, but I know that that would be really popular. Um, I will say, I guess it must have been probably 1990, maybe 91 or 92, but our brother Scott and I took a trip with our mother to California, just the three of us, and we went to Universal Studios, and they had one of the DeLoreans like on display, you know, behind ropes or whatever. And I definitely have a photo of, of Scott and myself standing in, in front of that DeLorean, but, um, oh, I might actually have it nearby, but anyway, I, I remember going back to school and whether that was like spring break or summer, it was, I think it was like spring break. And, I remember like writing an essay and I think it was kind of just like what you did on spring break kind of a thing. And <laughs> I wrote about going out to California and seeing the DeLorean. And I specifically talked about like the DeLorean for a, a big chunk of this essay. In case nice. you're wondering if I've always been this way. <laughs> Focused on which the Delor and the DeLorean chose, uh, of course, chosen because of its stainless steel body, right? Uh, something that very few cars in history uh, have have offered, and it's too we're heavy. Gonna, we're going to circle back around to that a little bit later. Uh, yeah, so uh, you know, back. Let's just talk about Back to the Future one for a second. So that's the one where he. <laughs> Uh, goes back in time and is seduced by, well, his, his mother attempts to seduce him, not knowing that it was going to be her future son. And he has to find a way for his father in the past to, who's a total nerd, 
to uh, get together with his mom. And the scenes between Michael J. Fox and Crispin Glover in the past are like really fun. They had such great chemistry together. The whole movie is yeah. so much. I look at the back to Back to the Future trilogy, especially after rewatching it recently. I kind of I look at it the way I look at the Rocky series, where it's like or Jaws, um, uh-huh. where it's like you've got that first one that really kind of stands on its own as as a classic, and then the other ones where you're like, oh that that's oh that's interesting, uh-huh. and, um you know, and mo- I would say mostly with Back to the Future too, which we'll 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 come back to that as well, yeah. But the first Back to the Future, notable for how it's a masterclass in foreshadowing and uh-huh. in setups, everything, everything. And the attention to detail is so fantastic, straight right down to Goodyear tires. And I know yeah. it's like you've got like basically Goodyear or what, Firestone, um, no offense to other tire manufacturers, but like just the like Goodyear. Of co- OK, yeah. great. Uh, the aging makeup. Well, it's funny because I feel like um, only recently Christopher Lloyd has become the age that I think I thought he was in 1985. <laughs> I know. Well, that's one of the, one of the jokes when he sees the he's like, "Look at me, I'm an old man," and he looks the same in in the I know. 50s. And well, also he in in part two he like he like oh. takes this. <laughs> face peel off because he wanted to make sure that he went back in time he would look older it was this whole thing and then he had had, he had the surgery done, done yeah. to dh him so funny uh yeah i you know there's there's certainly a lot of things about the first one where it's just like it's no surprise that it was as well received as it was it was certainly a you know something completely different and something very much of its time you know, with the music of Huey Lewis in the news, uh, and this the story of a a kid who we all just accepted the fact was friends with a weird scientist, and it's you know it's this kid who just kind of got away with things because he was wily and charming and I don't know charismatic and. Uh, the adults, with the exception of Doc Brown, just always trying to, like, you know, tamp him down and, and keep him grounded. But he certainly had bigger aspirations for himself, probably more musically than anything else. And I think that what's uh, what's also really special about Back to the Future is that somehow... They made a movie about a kid whose mom falls in love with him in the past, and it became a cultural phenomenon. I love yeah. it. Well, it, it, first of all, it's funny, and then secondly, as soon as it, like once there is any physicality yeah. between them, it's <laughs> yeah. She's like, ugh. She puts on the brakes, but yeah. all the setup and and God, it, Leah Thompson is so good. And I'm talking not just about the young Lorraine, but as yeah. the older Lorraine. And all, I mean, that's where like that aging makeup, like, man, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover and Thomas F. Wilson at the beginning of Back yeah. to the Future. I mean, especially when you're a kid, like when you're a kid, you don't really notice it. But I'm watching it now and I'm like, I totally buy these people as like late 40s or, you know, however old they are. Sure. They- I feel like Leah Thompson's was not as great. Oh, but- 
I mean, she really, but she looks like in with like between the drinking, she pours herself that tall glass yeah. of, of vodka. And then you see her, it all plays in when you, when she's young and she starts and she's, she looks and she's beautiful. And like, you can, there's such attention to that detail where when she's older, she, it looks like she's been through 30 years of drinking and smoking. Yeah. And same thing. I mean, Crispin Glover just has that that physicality to him at the beginning. Uh, yeah, where he's just like that that guy who never really had what it took to push himself to yeah. the next the next level. He's you know he's he's the the George McFly you see in the past. Sure, you know doing the doing Biff's work for him and. Yeah, all, all that stuff. Uh, you know who else doesn't age in it is James Tolkien. Oh, Strickland, well, but I, exactly but that's done. On, that's done on purpose. Though. Oh, I love it. I I love it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely love great. it. Great um, details, like such as in in this first scene when when they're having dinner uh, at the McFly house, and it's just like the these are people who are not doing well in life. What board game do you see in the background? Life. Oh yeah, the game of life. I'd never noticed that before. And, and something else, uh, another uh, quality that I only like was made aware of recently through TikTok was that at the beginning, when Biff is going through their refrigerator, he sees Miller Light, and then at the end, when Doc, when they're in the revised version of present day, where they are suddenly in a better position financially, Doc goes into their trash and finds a can of Miller High Life. So I thought that that was oh. a really interesting touch that I had never heard of before. And somebody realized that, and I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. That's yeah. a really funny observation. Uh, but, you know, I I love the story of how kind of the plot was developed by Bob Gale, who thought... If I was in high school with my dad, would we be friends? <laughs> and it's such a really fun question. And this is such an incredible result of just asking yourself that question of, you know, creating this movie where somebody goes back in time and sees their parents for who they really were and learns so much more about them being that same age as them and seeing them in the same positions that he is currently in. So now way to go Bob Gale on figuring that out. This, this brings up one of the few, I don't like a question that comes up for me every time I watch the movie. So Marty plays a pivotal role in, in George and Lorraine's getting together. Right. So maybe not initially, but after Marty has has been in the past and comes back to the future. That's the name of the movie. Do his parents never recognize him? Yeah, there's never just like a man, he really looks like that Calvin Rem person. Remember no, Marty. They even they say that Marty, that's a nice name. They name him oh. after himself. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. That's so true. and they're never like that like and he plays guitar like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
like how do you forget that like he's wa- he's wailing he's lo- loves Eddie Van Halen and and he's like you know wailing on this guitar and I love that's another great setup where he doesn't get to play the school dance cuz Huey yeah. Lewis says that they're too loud and then he goes and gets to play at the school dance and right. Marvin Berry <laughs> that is such a ridiculous moment but I I love it because they d- just went for it. When he plays the dance, the most ridiculous part about it is the singing voice. Oh, the singing voice is yeah. <laughs> That's there's like, there's there's no way in hell. There were but, there was no attempt to find some maybe that maybe the singing voice was actually Eric Stoltz. I don't know. Hey, you never know, yeah. So, uh quick question for you, Dan. If you went to high school with our father, would you two have been friends? No. Yeah, definitely not. No. I mean, no offense, but yeah, like <laughs> he wasn't a theater kid. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I feel like my my knowledge of anything of what our father was like really begins more in his college years. I feel like before that, most of his life goes slightly undocumented. Yeah, you know, there's 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 some like there's stories, there's tales of you know he 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 delivered milk to milk vending machines. Uh, I guess that was the family business for for a time. Uh, uh, and then even though college, we we really have we have some hints. just a little glimpse. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, bit of a bit of a mystery. I'm gonna trust that he wasn't up in trees watching uh, watching girls birds, get, birds, under. right? Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, birds. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, also I love that setup because they tell the story at the beginning, and then Marty does what anyone would do when they're seeing their father, or I guess pretty much anyone about to get hit by a car. But you know, especially someone you love, you, you know, you're gonna yeah. push him out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, for and sure. And he's not thinking like, oh no, wait, that's this is oh, this is that. He yeah. doesn't know. And uh and yeah, it's it's so like Lorraine and and her like how uh <laughs> just how how thirsty <laughs> to use a well, in the parlance of our times. And what's so funny is that she had gone on this whole thing about how when she was a teen, she didn't park cars with boys Sit in a parked car with yeah. a boy i never called a boy yeah and Leah asking Le- a boy out no yeah yeah i don't like that jennifer parker <laughs> <laughs> so i uh, right so moving into the second movie he goes back to 1985 is there for like i don't know seven minutes and then doc comes screeching into his driveway and uh Clearly thinks that that's the best time for him to go back into the past. Couldn't have given him a couple of days, but decides, no, we have to go. It depends on the fate of your your child. And then we go into 2015. And uh, gotta love how they make them just these nice round numbers. Yeah. Well, he's he said, and that's what he says. He says uh, at the, at at the end when when Marty asks him, "All right, you know, where are you going?" and he's like, "Yeah, thirty years. It's a nice round number." Oh yeah, that's pretty much exactly what he says. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and okay. you know they they you know introduce so many th- the flying cars, the the hoverboards, and they I just love how they like, they recreate the scene from the first one with skateboards, but this time with hoverboards. There's the through line of uh, 
Biff and Griff and uh, yeah, Biff and Griff just with the manure. Every, oh, and Buford with the manure. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a really, that's a really funny uh, thread that keeps on, that keeps all them together. Um, but yeah, you know, it's funny cause it's like always supposed to be just like such a simple thing where it's just like, all you have to do is do this and never get to go. But no, it's never that simple. Never that simple. No. Um, so back to the future two is it's a movie that and I, and on this recent watch, I definitely like, you know, was, was a little pickier, but it's a movie I've got a lot of love for. I think it takes a lot of great chances. It takes a lot of risks and yeah. I mean, it goes dark and yeah. it, it is. Oh, like, and they go back to the alternate 1985. Well, yeah, it's also if you talk about something that ages well and turned out to be like somewhat accurate back to the future, too. I felt like and, and I'm not just talking about the alternate 1985 and, right. you know, the comparisons between you know, alternate 1985 Biff and Donald Trump. There's a lot of similarities there, a lot of connections that have been made, especially over the past several years. But uh, even if you look at like the Cubs winning their first World Series, um, they were in the playoffs in 2015. Uh They did not make it to the series, but then they won the series, I think, two years later. Sure. It would have been two on the nose anyway. Yeah. But also, (laughs) if you take into account like the kind of early 2010s uh 3D movie boom yeah. and the jaws 10 uh yeah. or jaws 19 yeah um also like also the sequels like how everything is just a sequel to st- older older things um sure and i mean there's of course like steven spielberg references cuz then there's also the jaws nintendo game in the window of the uh uh, antiques shop right yeah oh yeah and there were some other i think there was a roger rabbit doll in there too yes yes yeah. so uh a, a little uh little zemeckis uh you know self self congratulations self nod self yeah. nod yeah what, what i yeah. really love about part two and yeah like you said of course there are plenty of things to nitpick about it but it really takes some big chances by having him go back to 1985, or sorry, 1955, where the other version of himself is currently doing all of these things and he has to like go and do his thing parallel to his other version of himself and doing his thing. And it is fascinating. And it is really well thought out the way that that's all plotted and the way that they recreated those moments from different angles and one, how they show the things that you don't, that, that that happen within the timeline of the first back to the future, but that you don't see like Lorraine going dress shopping. Oh yeah. And just all those things that, that fit in, you get a little, you get more of a sense of Biff's home life. He lives with his grandmother. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's, yeah, I really I love like Back to the Future 2 is one of those movies that I I enjoy it for its flaws because without without the risks, you don't oh yeah, have those those flaws and just the daring to go dark and like alternate 1985 yeah with the biker gangs, gun violence uh mm-hmm. all well, yeah, alternate 1985 also where his the community where he lives 
is, you know, there's bars on the windows and it's a black family living there, which really says a lot about uh, kind of the, the 1980, I guess, 889 mentality of, you know, where things were, where it's, mm. you know, that equals bad neighborhood. That they were, that was the cue they were, they were trying to give. Yeah. 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 yeah um, and it's right. I mean, and it was established that Donald Trump was the inspiration for Biff's, you know, future self. I mean, it's that talk about being on the nose, <laughs> you know, you have the per the casino owner who looks the way that he looks with that, the, you know, the, the very specific hair who's, you know, just a real sleaze, sleazy guy. And I think that though, compared to 1989, it 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 fit the shoe fit even better in twenty in 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 our twenty fifteen. Oh yeah, I mean that's the reason. You know, I'm I'm referencing things that I see on TikTok about this movie, and it's like people are still talking about this movie, finding things in this movie, and you know, talking about the the actors in it with such high regard, and it is its own very special thing that. I don't know if we're ever going to really have anything else like this before, especially right. considering that the third one was kind of a, I don't know. Goof? It was, I felt, it was, a, it was a goof. Yeah. Okay, so they shot they shot them back to back. Now, the second does a lot to set up the third. Mm-hmm. There's the the mention of Buford Tannen. It's where Marty sees the Clint Eastwood movie where he gets yeah. the idea for the like bulletproof plate. Uh, yeah in his in his vest but it's like back to the future three they were just it was like they were just trying to it was like let's take back to the future and we're going to make it into just a a very standard stereotypical old western uh with your your stereotypical uh cow quote-unquote cowboys and indians uh, and you know, here comes the cavalry and yeah, all and, that, you know, and it, it's also interesting because I feel like in the nineties we did have a lot of, cause this came out in 1990 in the nineties, we had a lot of other Western movies, but this one came before those, um, I'm trying to think of like 80s well, it comes Western. after young guns. It comes after young guns. Right. Which was 88. When did young guns two come out? 90. 90, right. Yeah, so a couple of months I've, after. But I feel like things like Tombstone and, and stuff like that, Quick and the Dead, the, those came out 92, well, un- 95. The, you yeah. have Unforgiven in 92. Yeah. And I think that kind of sparked Tombstone and Wyatt. Oh, it was Wyatt, Tombstone after that? Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tombstone, I think, was like late 93. Wyatt Earp was 94. Quick and the Dead was 95. Bad Girls was in there mm, with Madeline Stowe. Bad Stone, Girls, right. yeah. Um, yeah, Wyatt Earp was 94, um, City Slickers, 91. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Bad Girls is 94. It's, so it's it's kind of, fat, you know, there definitely was like a boom of Westerns right around this time. And this was, you know, a little bit earlier on that on that boom. But it's, it, it's a total goof. I it mean, just feels it, like they're trying to like, it, it just felt like a bunch of, like in jokes. Well, yeah, I mean they had uh 
Well, they had, uh, I keep on wanting to call him Marty McFly. <laughs> it's just because like that is uh, kind of who Michael J. Fox is to me sometimes is Marty McFly. But, you, you know, we have uh, Michael J. Fox where like as his ancestor, somehow they all look identical to each other. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Except and, and then it, he plays his ancestor, but there he's married to Leah Thompson. Yeah. Which is very confusing. And they do the whole like, oh, it's OK. You're safe and sound back in good old 1885. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's. It's really strange. I mean, this one, of course, we have the Virgin Mary, Mary Steenburgen, uh, as Clara, Doc's love interest, who is just fantastic. Oh, you know, lovely. I'm glad that she kind of comes in like halfway through the movie because we've already established at this point that it's like, all right, this is just going to be like a weird, dumb I don't know, like epilogue on what already was this this craziness. Yeah. And then it's just like, all right, yeah, sure. Give me give me Mary Steenburgen. That sounds good. Well, why not? <laughs> let's have, like let's that's great. Doc has a love interest and Yeah. Yeah. So I like that I I have no I have no problem with with any of that. That's yeah, all good. No, it's the the third one I think I've only seen one other time probably right when it came out. Yeah. And then I think after that, I was like, I don't know if I need to see this again. Right. Until 2022. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he comes in, he, you know, like he looks like Cowboy Curtis when he shows up in, in the old West mm -hmm. or when he, when he, uh, well, yeah, he's the, uh, the 80, well, no, they're here. They're the, he's the fifties version of got, what like, Cowboys up. The but atomic, that, what's the, like, when you, but it's funny that you say, Cowboy Curtis because or Marshall Brave Star. Well, we, well, well, going back to Cowboy Curtis because Pee Wee's Playhouse, which is made in the eighties, but has so many throwbacks to like fifties and sixties cultural things yeah. within the design of the wardrobe and the sets and everything. Cowboy Curtis is kind of the like eighties fifties version of an old West cowboy. <laughs> So it, it totally, it's a great comparison for what he's wearing. Yeah. And of course he goes back wearing like Nikes. It's, well, yeah. And let's talk about how, like, I, I love how they're always like, oh, we have to be really careful about everything we do. Meanwhile, d like, they are just, they don't give a shit. Like, he, Marty tells everyone his name is Clint, but Doc is calling him Marty. Oh, yeah. Up and down. Well, also, it's no like one... Doc goes back in time and becomes a blacksmith. Like, don't you think that's going to change history like in some way <laughs> like he creates like horseshoes for somebody and then that person goes off to like i don't know rob a bank and set off a whole chain of events or whatever so i don't know they would have gotten part, those horseshoes from whoever from any from another blacksmith though but but then maybe they would have missed the window of opportunity to do their bankrupt or All maybe saying, maybe maybe here's the untold story where they go for these these horseshoes and they give doc special material to use to make the horseshoes so that the horses run extra fast doc uses those materials in a science experiment and then they find out and they come back from and they're libyan yeah <laughs> so and they're I, in a know, stage they're in a volkswagen stagecoach yeah right it's really strange to 
think that Doc Brown would really be okay staying in 1885. Knowing how seriously he takes interrupting the space-time continuum and how, like, you can't change anything. Nobody can see you. Like, nobody can be aware that you're here. Meanwhile, he's just like, eh, fuck it. The, but all still that shit insistent. gets flushed. All that shit. For, in Back to the Future 3, it doesn't. The rules are out Yeah, the but then it's like, but when you get back to 1985, you got to destroy the DeLorean. Oh, right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to destroy the DeLorean. Meanwhile, and he feels so strongly about, oh, I should have never made that damn thing. Feels so strongly about it. And then he makes a fucking time machine train. Yeah, steam <laughs> engine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, though, that last part of Back to the Future Part 3, very exciting. I totally forgot about that part. <laughs> So there, it's been such a long time and there were certain things I remembered from it, but I yeah. totally forgot that there was anything after the old West. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. So, okay. Well, what I'm saying about being exciting is the, is how they get the DeLorean up to 88 miles per hour, which I thought was very clever the way they did it because the car doesn't have any gasoline that has not been invented yet. You know, they haven't figured out how to do that because no cars and they, uh, they use a train to get it up to that level and like, you know, detaching the excess weight and all this stuff. And it's like they figure out exactly when it needs to go into the higher range and all that kind of stuff. And it was really, I thought, really well thought out at that part. Just about yes. the mechanics of like how to get this car to go up to 88 miles per hour. And the fact that like the track runs out because it hadn't been finished being built, but by the time that it gets to 1985, it will be built, so it'll be on there. It's just, it's exciting. Oh, yeah. Oh, that part? Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. The rest of it, eh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I gotta say, like, I'm not a huge, like, Western movie fan. There are certain ones that I do care for. Um, I did watch The Quick and the Dead recently. Uh, directed by Sam Raimi. I've been with, thinking about uh, going back Stone. to that one. I haven't seen it. I think since you know. It was first so, um, so uh, our aforementioned brother Scott, uh, he and a lot of our friends that you know we grew up with and you know met in college and all that kind of stuff get together every Friday to watch a movie. They all get together on Zoom and then just put on a movie and play it at the same time. And um, I. I I checked in a few weeks ago and watched The Quick and the Dead with them and it it was so good. <laughs> it's so good. And it's you know I had just watched um the new Doctor Strange movie the night before that directed by Sam Raimi and it was so it's watching Sam Raimi movies when you go a long time without watching one and then you watch two in a row you're just like man that guy really had of like a vision and he had a really distinct way of like angling a camera and like showing you emotion and showing you, you know, the, the intensity of a moment. And, um, it's really refreshing to, to revisit those, but it's, you know, no one else can do it because he does that. No one a, else can yeah. Do it very signature. Does. I was watch. I, uh, similarly, I watched, uh, I was watching dark man recently mm. Uh, another Sam Raimi favorite yeah. of mine, and the original uh, yeah. Sam Raimi uh, superhero movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Seriously, long before Spider. Well, he did Spider Man uh, twenty yeah. years ago, and yeah, yep. Now yeah. Doctor Strange. 
Which is, uh, I mean, it's so Sam Raimi. It is a like horror movie, essentially. That's it's right. really. Did you ever crazy. see? Speaking of Sam Raimi, and then we'll get back to the topic. Mm-hmm. You ever see Drag Me to Hell? Yeah, Drag Me to Hell is really good. That's good. Well, that's with Allison Lohman, who I really like, and yeah. is Justin Long in that? Justin Long, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Drag Me to Hell is great. But I remember, I remember watching that, and like, I like horror movies. I don't necessarily always like always gravitate to putting them on but i remember watching that one and just feeling like i was not disappointed at all i think that was something well first of all the title of the movie drag me to hell really grabs you and i've drags you and drags you you know it really grabs your attention because it's not structured like most other movie titles and i remember i saw in the theater and i remember being like really jazzed about it because for Sam Raimi, Alison Lohman is great. I, you know, matchstick men. She's fantastic in, um, white Oleander. Is that her? Yeah. I never saw that though, but I, uh, she was in big fish and, uh, you know, I haven't seen her in anything in a long time. I don't know what she's up to, but she really like hit it hard during a, you know, a few year period and drag me to hell is no exception. That movie does not hold back. <laughs> no. That, and that was probably like the last Sam Raimi mo- movie that I really remember because was that after or during the Spider-Man movies? That was after, because Spider-Man 3 was, I think, 2007. Drag Me to Hell was 2009. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, then I think that's the last Sam Raimi movie that I remembered seeing. I don't know what he had done since then, but so much fun. Um, yeah. But, you know, Sam Raimi is one of those filmmakers who definitely has, like, a distinct vision. And I think that uh, Robert Zemeckis is another filmmaker who, you know, they're not all hits. But you're you're always going to get something different with Robert Zemeckis, even if it's something like The Polar Express. But, like, you know, Forrest Gump, that, even though that movie is... Uh, you know, the quality of it is debatable, <laughs> but uh, you can't deny how cool a lot of the things were that he did with that, uh, I, so, you know, that we hadn't really seen before. That's and and th- if I can jump in here. Yeah, that's where I, I feel like Zemeckis. When Zemeckis goes, Zemeckis can be really good at mixing gimmick with story. The first Back to the Future is yeah. probably the best example of that um yeah. who framed roger rabbit is of course. an excellent yeah. mix of of gimmick and and story i feel like sometimes he lets the gimmick take over like the the whole like uh like like beowulf that weird like beowulf right that weird beowulf he did um i i'm not a fan of castaway uh castaway I, I didn't like it when it first came out i dan you may remember i did go through a period of time where i was not into tom hanks oh yeah yeah, yeah. but i got over that and castaway i can appreciate for the big swings that it takes just in terms of like what it is as a movie and to be honest with you i would have liked castaway a lot more had it not been for the trailer to castaway kind of giving away the oh. big it, it it does it, it gives away that he gets off the island. 
Oh, in the trailer. Okay, I don't remember that. So when I saw Castaway, and I was really like, "Wow!" When you know he gets off the island, this movie really loses its bite. But another great movie that Zemeckis did that same year, or and I haven't seen it in years, but What Lies Beneath? What Lies with Beneath? Yeah. Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer, which uh, I, I thought was a really cool like ghost thriller. I have to watch that one again. It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. I got to go back to that one as well. Yeah, he's. Uh, I f- and also there's a an iconic shot that is in his movie Contact that uh, you know it's this famous like mirror shot that happens in it and it's that is very Bob Zemeckis to me where it's just like you know he finds these ways to get you to get get yourself inside of the movie as if you're watching a magic trick and uh, i think that that's a good tactic to keep a, a movie in your memory a little bit longer mm-hmm. and i think that that's something that he does in back to the future really successfully uh just looking at some of his other more recent movies you know the 2012 movie flight i think that you know he was the right person to to do that well and that, that was... movie is really all like character study yeah. if i remember correctly and and really no no gimmick with that other than like the plane well the sequence. actual plane landing stuff i feel like that was dealt with in a way that made sense for him yes. um but then he did like welcome to marwin which everybody in the world collectively said no thanks <laughs> and uh, uh the the most recent the Witches with Anne Hathaway, which people were mostly collectively like, eh, I'll just watch no, the thanks. original one. And then yeah. uh, the the new Pinocchio that's coming out, not to be confused with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And uh, th- this Pinocchio is the Tom Hanks Pinocchio, uh, where I think a lot of people are just like, uh, okay, all right. Why? So... You know, uh, but we uh, let's not forget the walk, which I thought the walk was, is good. Was the good. walk is good. Joseph Gordon-Levitt as that French guy. I forget exactly yeah, where he's from. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. French, uh, French tightrope walker. Yeah, who goes who, between the twin towers? Yeah, and that, and you know, that was released 2015, long after the towers came down, and that, of course, I don't know. And there was, I mean, and I also, I, I, I don't know, I never saw the documentary, but oh, yeah, oh, the documentary is good. While we're while we're talking about Robert Zemeckis and gimmicks and story and everything, a movie that we've already talked about on here, Death Becomes Her. That's right. Yeah, which really like awesome. Uh, the visual gimmick, effects. the gimmick is what you remember. You remember that fight scene between the two of them. You don't remember a lot of the other aspects of this movie. Maybe you remember. Uh, you know, at the beginning when Goldie Hawn is like eating ice cream. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff. But well, like, and I think the performances in Death Becomes Her also uh, stand out, especially Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, Isabel and Bruce Rossellini. Willis. And, Bru- and Bruce Willis. Isabel Rossellini. Oh, so good. Oh. Wonderful. So, She's wonderful. Anyway, we're, we're just at the point where we, we've just crossed over an hour of recording. And okay. I. Going into this, Dan, just for our listeners, you know, you and I had talked about like, we are talking about Back to the Future, which you cannot talk about without talking about parts two and three. And we have had this one on our list since the beginning, but it's a daunting one. 
And at risk of going on for too long, we really kept out a lot of what we could have talked about. So I feel like now is a good time to move on and talk about a, a life beyond, which, of course, this movie has had many lives beyond. I mean, video games. Um, was there a television series? No. No, there, there wasn't a television. No, no television series. There's a musical. There's a musical. Um, there, I mean, I feel like you can't talk about Back to the Future and A Life After It now without talking about Rick and Morty, which is a series very much directly inspired by, uh, you know, <laughs> Marty and Doc. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know a better way to put it. There, oh, wait, there was an animated television series from CB, on CBS from 91 and 92. Oh. Uh, it followed their adventures through various historical periods intercut with live-action segments featuring uh, Christopher Lloyd performing science experiments with Bill Nye. I have a vague recollection of this now that you're describing it. Yeah, and then a short film, Doc Brown Saves the World, was in 2015 to celebrate the film's 30th anniversary. Christopher Lloyd was in it. Uh, who must travel to the future to prevent, a, to prevent a nuclear holocaust in 2045, okay? So, yeah. I want to have one where they have to travel through time to stop Back to the Future from being remade. Okay, <laughs> It's kind of like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> okay. No, 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 that's not my idea. <laughs> what is your idea? Okay, so, um, so first of all, I think that there's so many things about Back to the Future that are just that make it unique and make it something something special that I I don't even think like I think about a musical version of Back to the Future and I'm like any reason why I watch Back to the Future is not going to be in the musical because I watch it for the 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 cinematography and the, the editing and the effects with the DeLorean and the performances with Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox, Crispin Glover, Thomas Wilson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think about a musical and I'm like, well, I don't want to see someone trying to be like Michael J. Fox or Thomas F. Wilson. And I don't necessarily want those characters in another way. So... I wouldn't remake it, but I think this movie is such a cultural phenomenon that you could do something with it where in present day, uh, you know, a kid who is, uh, you know, scientifically minded, has an aptitude for science and who is in love with with the movie Back to the Future, perhaps like my high school friend Bob Salguero and <laughs> is watching this movie and it is it has seen this movie so many times that she he whoever decide is like wait a second i think we could actually do this like uh -huh. i think that this like made up science fiction is could actually work and that using modern day technology and research and all that really they uh that the you know this this person this kid this group of kids whatever um builds a time machine like based on the science in the movie the the 1.21 gigawatts and yeah. and all that 
Um, they use a they use a Tesla, and Tesla does have, I believe, a car with a stainless steel body. <laughs> does it really? Uh, oh, the Cybertruck. Yeah, I think like the Tesla. Yeah, is that a stainless steel body? I I believe so. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, it's uh, definitely designed to look like it. Yeah. So. Oh no! It is. It is stainless steel. Okay. See, so, I thought that the reason why DeLorean flopped so badly was because it was so heavy and such like a yeah. gas guzzler that it like didn't make any sense. But also, if you look at the pictures of the Tesla Cybertruck, oh, it kind of looks like a DeLorean. It is a thousand percent. Uh, yeah, DeLorean. So. I, I'm thinking, you know, especially by the time you would make this hypothetical movie, which, you know, if we're talking about it now, 2025, uh, it's a nice, nice round number. Nice round number. Nice yeah. round number. Um, but yeah, we're so, and of course, like, you're not going to have them go back to, they can't go back to any time after 1985 because they exist like we are in a, a timeline where the movie back to the future exists. Yeah. But they could go to the seventies and maybe it's something t- to do with the grandparents uh-huh. uh, in maybe they're in the mid set, the mid seventies, they go to 1975. I don't know. And a young Bob Gale is there. <laughs> like that would, it would be great. Like one of the characters, like, you know, what if they're, they're like, Oh man, I have to like find my grandparents. They're in high school or college. And uh, you know, like Bob Gale is, is, is there. And like, is just one of the, one of the characters they could just call him right. Bob. Uh, so I really don't have a whole, a lot of details panned out for this, but I'm thinking like you could totally do something like that where they build a time machine and they use the movie back to the future as kind of their guide of how to operate in the past. And uh, the first in terms of casting, like the first actor uh, that that came to mind was Sadie Sink, uh, Max from Stranger (laughs) Things. I just so good. I I, I just I don't know. She's kind of got that like there's that Marty McFly vibe. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just the skateboard, but like right, right, right. I, I, I don't know. I just that's who I pictured, but well, really, it's easy to envision her in multiple uh, eras because we certainly know what she's like now and what she would have looked like had she been in the eighties. So. Right, right, yeah. But yeah, but this would, and then this would also like if you go back to the seventies, that's there are no Back to the Future movies that have visited the seventies or sixties for that matter. So it would be something different where you could you can homage back to the future and you can, you know, you can kind of play with those rules. But then also we're we're in the 70s and there's, you know, all types of 70s, depending on when in the 70s they go, they could go and, you know, it's disco or they're during Watergate or whatever. Uh, you know, um, I mean, for the same token, they could go back to the 60s. I just kind of thought the 70s was like would work better. And if you think you if you think of like a kid who's a teenager now, um, would it make sense that their grandparents would have been in high school in the 70s? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It could. Yeah, yeah po- totally that possible. Work. That could work. Uh so, yeah, so that's my I don't know exactly what they do. Like, you don't want it to be like back. You don't want it to be back to the future where it's like, oh, I have to make sure my grandparents 
meat. No, no, no. And also, I mean, I, I feel like my uh, synopsis wasn't fully clear about the original. You know, he definitely he goes back to 1955 by accident because he's just trying to get away from these Libyan terrorists who are after Doc Brown because he has plutonium that he had stolen in order to make an ex- an explosive for them. Is that they right? hire him to build a like a bomb? Yeah, exactly. So they gun Doc down, and Marty's trying to get away in the DeLorean, which Doc had just set to the day in 1955 when he fell on a toilet and blacked out and came to and envisioned the idea for the flux capacitor, which would make time travel possible. And because he hit, hits the gas and it goes to 88 miles per hour, he goes back to that day in 1955. And so the idea is for him to find his way back to the future or back to his present and right. with the uh, 1955 Doc Brown. But instead accidentally changes the course of history for his family and has to then also correct that in order to save himself before he knows when there's going to be a lightning strike at a clock tower that can send him back. Set up so brilliantly. But yeah, no, no, no. His whole, his trip back, his trip into the past is totally accidental. His encounter with his father is purely accidental. Yeah. Uh, So... But so, yeah, so I feel like in in this Back to the Future tribute movie, <laughs> sure, I guess uh, a tribute, I don't know, a tribute, oh no, um, it, it, I think there is going to be an intention of like, okay, I've discovered time travel and I have to do something really important yeah. that is going to benefit my grandparents, a grandparent, someone, something like that. It doesn't have to be a grandparent, but point is they have to, they have to go back. They have to go back pre 1980s. Yeah. And that's my, that's my idea. It's loose. It's loose, but I feel like that's, I can't think of another way to, to do this. You're not yeah. going to have a Back to the Future part four. I mean, other it's just going to be doing the same shit all over again. No, so. no. I, You know, I. it's amazing that Back to the Future has the legacy that it has, especially considering part three. And part three was better reviewed than part two. I think it did better really? at the box office, too. That's so funny. I mean, I feel like after Two, it probably, you know, a third one was probably going to get a bigger box office draw. Anyway, I don't know. People did not like two. And I understand why. I think it's age. I think two has aged really well. And I think more people now appreciate two and not so much three. But at the time, everyone's like, oh, three was just fun. It was so much fun. And two is so dark and scary. I was like, that's why it was great. <laughs> I think that two also spent a lot of time patting itself on the back. You know? Yeah. 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 They, 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 it's showing off. It's showing off. Yeah. So, so, so what, uh, what are you going to do what with do this? I here? So what, what do you got? What? Okay. So in order to talk about my idea i need to talk about a movie that we have never really discussed on this podcast i don't know if it's come up at all but we definitely haven't done an episode about it um but i essentially would like to 
revisit the the initial inspiration that Bob Gale had and the the idea of like would you be friends with your parents in high school or whatever and I wouldn't want to do it using time travel in the sense of going into a time machine or anything like that but I really love the way that the movie Peggy Sue Got Married avoids all of the technical jargon, any of the questions of like, well, how is this possible? Because in the movie Peggy Sue Got Married, and I haven't written a synopsis for it, but essentially Kathleen Turner's character, who's having troubles with her ex and her family and everything, um, she passes out and wakes up back in high school and lives out a few weeks of her life in high school and looks back at the at the person who would become her husband then i think ex-husband or i don't know if yeah. they were separated or divorced nicholas yeah. cage who is yeah. amazing in that movie Fantastic. and it's a really fascinating way to do a going back in time movie without having to deal with the mechanics of time travel and the space-time continuum. Well, there's a bit and, of wizardry. Yeah, no, it's it's totally... It, it basically says to its audience, this is happening. Don't worry about what exactly is happening or how it's happening. That doesn't matter. Because I think that the reality is that it's all just kind of playing out in her mind as she's passed out. Like, you know, there's no actual her going back in time. It's never explained. It's never really picked up on. That's it. I know there's this strange thing with her grandfather who's part of this, like, it's like this Elks Lodge, but they're... that's to get... But that's all during... That's all in the past. Right, yeah, yeah. So... I watched it not too long ago. Yeah. It's a really fantastic movie. Francis Ford Coppola, is that right? Yeah. 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 It's really fantastic. As I said, Nicolas Cage is amazing. Uh, Kathleen Turner's so good in it. And it's it's a really trippy movie, and I feel like the way that I would want to approach any type of, and this wouldn't be in the Back to the Future verse, mm-hmm. but it's you know taking it's just kind of going off in a different direction from Bob Gale's original question of like, would you be friends with the parent? Because the the idea that I had is essentially like somebody somehow like they pass out or something and is kind of transported back in time to their parents high school days and we don't have to worry about how it impacts the future there's no photograph where somebody disappears there's nothing like that but it's you know of course there there it would have to start with some sort of like disagreement with parents and you know, uh, some like a disconnect between generations and the eras in which people are growing up. And of course, now with, you know, in 2022, you can't do it without, you know, referencing things like race or sexual orientation or uh, neurodiversity. And I feel like there's something there that could be explored by going back to you know, the 90s to when, well, let's see. Uh, I guess it would probably end up being the 80s. 
I'm trying to think of like what if it's a teenager and I mean it could be the 90s. Um so anyway, I I think that there's a really interesting thing to explore there and it's about finding a better understanding with your parents by by learning more about who they were at your age because you know there's certainly the uh the the classic phrase of like when I was your age dot 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 and I think that um there's something to that and Dan now that like you know you and I are both parents and the amount of times that I wish that I could say when I was your age we couldn't just watch whatever movie we wanted to. We couldn't watch this show over and over again. We just have to wait till it was on or like we had to go to Blockbuster Video or whatever. And oh, I've definitely Oh, <laughs> no, yeah, but imagine the amount of times that you hold back saying that too. Like <laughs> it's it's a real thing. It is a real thing. It really is. Yeah. So anyway, uh that's that's where I would go with it is is not actually doing something within the universe of Marty McFly and Doc Brown and and the tannins. <laughs> but you know, is is really just exploring something that goes uh a little bit deeper back into the original question that Bob Gale had. So you're doing, yeah, and and working in a little Peggy Sue got married, which Peggy Sue got married came out like a year after Back to the Future. Oh, did it really? Yeah, it was like I think '86 was uh, makes sense because it was married. an it was an early Nick Cage movie. Yeah, uh, early Jim Carrey as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah, he just plays one of Nick Cage's buddies. Really? Yeah, he's like one of his goofy yeah, that was friends. But huh? he's he's got a lot of screen time in it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really great movie, uh, Peggy Sue Got Married. Oh, it's fantastic. I think, I mean, if I remember correctly, it was, you know, certainly nominated, if not a Kathleen Turner, of... I think, was was nominated, and I think the script might have been nominated. Deservedly so. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun watch, and but it there is were a lot of more... things. Sorry, go mm-hmm. ahead. Oh, there's just a lot of things that I remember about it, even from, like, the first time that I watched it, like, years ago the red m&ms <laughs> the red m&ms that's a big one uh yeah i don't know it, it's it, it's a good one it is and, and and you're right it's more of an introspective whereas back to the future is much more of what's going on outside yeah peggy sue got married is much more of like okay i just came from you know here where my marriage has failed and yeah. like, oh, Helen Hunt is one of her kids in it. Yeah, that's true. I think they're her only kid. Perhaps. Anyway, anyway, but anyway, I think that Back to the Future touches on that element of things where, yeah. you know, Marty learns that his dad was into like science fiction stuff. And that's not something that he knew before. And when he finds out, he's like, huh, OK, cool. Like. All right. And, you know, he uses that to in order to influence him and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, it's just really interesting to me that uh, Back to the Future, you know, got it a little bit in there. But it's like you could really focus on that exclusively and just not worry about all the time travel stuff. I mean, the time travel stuff is what made this movie as iconic as it is. The DeLorean. The 1.21 gigawatts, the flux capacitor, like these things so that are iconic. like nonsense words that, you know, just resonate 
to this day. Just iconic images, iconic lines. Hey, you get your damn hands off her. Yeah, the score. Bah, 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 yeah. Oh, you know, it's, here's a little fun tidbit before we uh, before we sign off. So um, on, I want to say it was October 26th, uh, 2015. Okay. Uh, so on that actual day, so for those who don't know, um, I am a high school teacher and I, my like warm up, my opening activity in class that day was we watched the scene where Marty first goes into the future and you see all of the future stuff. And I had kids write down like, what, what did they get? What did they almost get? And what did they totally miss? <laughs> Right. About and 2015. I feel like there's and there's so many things that exist because of this movie. You know, I live in Portland, Oregon. Nike is headquartered just outside of Portland and Hillsboro. I know that they, you know, want to make those self-lacing shoes work. <laughs> and, you know, they they put out like some versions of that of that shoe as a throwback to Back to the Future Part Two. Yeah. It's iconic. Yeah. Well, Dan, speaking of iconic, do you want to let everyone know what we're going to be doing on our next episode? Yeah. So our next episode, because we're continuing our theme of May and June and looking at uh, families and movies about family dynamics, which Back to the Future certainly includes some complicated family dynamics. Um, as does the movie we're going to be looking at on our next episode, 1993's Mrs. Doubtfire. It's about damn time. You know, it's always, <laughs> it's always just been, it's been sitting there on the bench waiting to get called out to play. This is the right time. And Mrs. Doubtfire is taking the field. Yep. Um, so directed by Chris Columbus, yeah. uh, starring, of course, uh, the late, great Robin Williams, uh, Sally, the, the just the, plain old great the, the, Sally Field, the wonderful Sally, Sally yeah. Field, S- Sally, Sally Field, Field. Sally, Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan, yeah, uh, Harvey Firestein, mm-hmm. great, great cast, um, Mara Wilson, Matthew Mar- Lawrence, I am blanking on the name, Lisa of the Jacob, other. Lisa Jacob, yes, Lisa Jacob, she's yes. fantastic, yes, uh. I, I was going to say the name of one of the characters. Robert Prosky. Robert Prosky as as Jonathan Lundy. Uh, anyway, it is a... Uh, I'm so excited to talk about it. And um, if everybody who's listening wants to email... Everybody who's listening wants to email us, ruinchildhoodspot at gmail.com. Let us know if you have any ideas for uh, how you would bring back Back to the Future or Mrs. Doubtfire or any other movie or music video series we have talked about uh or that we haven't talked about we're or haven't talked about yeah we're just hanging out there's no rhyme or reason to any of this but uh email us ruinchildhoodspot at gmail.com check out our link tree for our t public store and all of our social media stuff dan has been killing it on the instagram and i uh yeah i just want to hear from all of you you know it's been a while and Dan, I don't know what else you would expect me to say, but as you're gunning it to 88 miles per hour, <laughs> I wish you a good journey. Good journey. When I'm flying in a plane or I'm on the street, there's a lot of things, people that I like to meet. They shake my hand and never ask my name, and they start asking questions that are always the same. Hey, what's Michael J. Fox like? He's nice. 
What's Michael J. Fox like? Nice guy. What's Michael J. Fox like? He's an alien. Stop asking me the question. I went to the bar mitzvah of my nephew Josh. Now I'm not Jewish, but I like to nosh. Put on my yarmulke, started to pray. When the rabbi leaned over and I heard him say, Hey, was that real manure? No, it wasn't. Was that real manure? No, was that real manure? It's a movie. Stop asking me the question. Can we take your picture? Come on, look mean. Would you call my friend a butthead on his answering machine? Hey, questions, questions, just fill my head. I went to my doctor, my doctor said, Hey, what does a key grip do? Set up lights. What does the best boy do? Help the key grip. What does a producer do? I don't know. Stop asking me the question. Do you all hang out together? No, we don't. How's Crispin Glover? Never talk to him. Back to the future for not happening. Stop asking me the question. Hey, who's the nicest famous guy you know? Adam Sandler. Who is the biggest jerk? Gary Busey. How much money do you make more than you do? So stop asking me the question. Thanks a lot, everybody.